Welcome to Horsepower to Hyperloops, Kettering University's official podcast, where we serve up a smorgasbord of fascinating people, groundbreaking ideas, and noteworthy advancements in fields as diverse as mobility, healthcare, engineering, and technology. Hi, this is Tim Troop Noonan. Welcome back to part two of our podcast, A Bright Future, a program to reposition Kettering for a changing world. Dr. McMahon, thanks for being with us again. Last time, we discussed the need for the President's Task Force on Program Realignment and Reinvention. In this segment, we're going to address the global industrial shift from an automotive to a broader mobility model, how Kettering's increasingly multidisciplinary academic format will seek to meet the needs of that emerging and increasingly complex mobility industry, the specifics of the academic realignment on campus, and a new master's degree opportunity for all Kettering students. Let's start with the task force's objectives, findings, and recommendations. There are standards for high-performing universities in you know how many faculty lines do you need for a certain number of students, in a certain type of program. There's some good guidelines. It's not all arbitrary. Many accrediting agencies have these kind of general performance guidelines that you can kind of base, if you want to think of it as instructional efficiency or operational efficiency measures for universities. And so the task force looked at these as well and was able to say, okay, based upon the demand for different programs, not only which program should we consider eliminating because they just don't have a strong market demand anymore, but how do we resource the ones that we wish to retain and grow appropriately based upon the future outlook for those programs? Like I said, they went into the data deeply, and so they came out with hard, they weren't vigorous hand-waving, you know, improve the general quality of, no, they were, okay, mechanical engineering has the highest number of program students. Electrical engineering is the second. These are the programs that rate below the average number of matriculated students. These are the ones that rate above it. This is the number of faculty lines associated with these programs, et cetera. This is what we would recommend the university do to realign what we are doing and kind of global recommendations for structural realignment of the programs. Let me interrupt with a question that it reinforced, if I'm not incorrect, that Kettering's core strength is as an engineering school, which shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. But one of the things that I found most astonishing was that six of the 13 majors, which was all the engineering majors plus computer science, generate half the total number of credit hours uh, delivered each year. But seven remaining majors combined contribute only 6% of the credit hours but they took one third of the instructional resources. That's got to lead you to say, okay, we can't have so many resources invested in so little return in these areas. Absolutely. And it's a matter of, you know, there's no organization out there that doesn't do this kind of reevaluation, right? That says, okay, how are we applying our resources to what we're actually trying to produce. And, and the bottom line is, is Kettering is an engineering school. That is what the market is telling us as well, that the engineering disciplines are the demand disciplines. And to those who know uh, the university, that's not surprising insofar as the un- 
engineering disciplines tend to be the ones that are best suited to the, our cooperative model. You know, they're, they're the ones for which there's a real resonance with the, the kind of educational model we deliver, with the exception, I have to say, of things like pre-med. The pre-med curriculum also resonates strongly with this model and, and has a great demand from our students. So, you know, and, and I'm, you know, I have in front of me, it's interesting, we did a survey of the, of the fields of study. Well, let me say this, when we do market analyses of the industries and applications and where graduates are going and what they're doing after they graduate and where the technologies are, you know, where the technologies are being developed, et cetera, the fields of study, if you will, one of the things we develop is a list and I've got it in front of me. Okay. And, and the list is things like acoustics, advanced manufacturing systems, artificial intelligence, automotive engineering, business analytics, cybersecurity, internet of things, manufacturing systems, mechatronics, robotics, supply chain, sustainable solutions and technology. Nowhere in that list do I see mechanical engineering, chemical engineering, right? But that's how we organize as an institution. So part of the challenge of this as well is, as we're thinking about domains, how do we create a model that really builds synergy between kind of the classical academic disciplines and what the real areas of interest are? So you're talking, that's where realignment comes in, where you start. And reinvention. That's the reinvention part, right? Take apart the big boxes, which are understood to be the departments and realign them by their parts in different ways. Is that correct? Exactly. Because, you know, if you look at autonomous vehicles, mobility systems, for goodness sakes, the U.S. automotive industry was, was invented in Flint by the people who created this university. We, we have a natural leadership role in mobility. Mobility is the new automotive. It's the 21st century form of the automotive industry. And we have a natural leadership position here in this discipline. We can lose that natural leadership position if we're not attentive to it. But one of the things that you realize very quickly is, is one of the things that's distinctive about mobility versus kind of the traditional automotive industry is that automotive could be easily kind of been organized and mechanical. I work on the, this mechanical systems, or I work on propulsion, or I work on the electronics and the interior, you know, or whatever. In Even other words, computers it, now, I mean. Yeah, but no, that, to your point, it's no longer that, right? Mobility, I mean, an EV electric vehicle today is a rolling computer. It's a rolling computer with electric motors attached to the wheels. Now, of course, that's a gross simplification, but in essence, what it, what it emphasizes is an automobile is not just a mechanical system anymore. In fact, the mechanics of the automobile, or if anything, they're simpler, much simpler. But what is much more complicated is, is all of the integration of systems from mechanical to electrical to computer science to operating systems to data analytics to human factors engineering to all these things. I mean, people now regularly 
think about getting a new car because it doesn't sync with their devices, right? It's no longer they want more horsepower. It's, you know, I got a new next generation uh, Android phone and it doesn't work with that. So I'm going to have to get a new car. It's a different model of what these technologies are and what's required of the people to be strong contributors. A lot of companies now who would traditionally hire just mechanical engineers are saying, well, what we're really interested in, we want a mechanical engineers, yes, but we want mechanical engineers to have a strong exposure to either electrical engineering or computer software engineering or something that they can function across those boundaries because the trade space that these companies are having to operate in includes all of those boundaries. Do you do it in software? Or do you do it in hardware? What's the best solution? And our educational model has to reflect that. We have to be able to educate those students. That's and one thing that you said one time I heard you say that people say, well, who's your real client as a university? And it's the students. And you said, well, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, it is. And we have a great moral and ethical obligation to get them along. But our real clients are the organizations that will employ those students because we have to produce people who are matched to their needs. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, the value of what you do in education, the value of what you do is established by the people that hire your graduates, the people that accept them into graduate programs. They actually are telling you in real time, the value of what you do with the students and what, how you're training your students and how, what they're learning. And, and again, are they mastering what they're doing? And that's one of the areas in which Kettering has been incredibly strong for four generations. I, I was uh, at a senior reception last evening and there was a young woman, she's an electrical engineer. She's saying, you know, I have a, a friend who just, uh, who graduated the term before, the summer before, and they're already supervising like 40 employees. Now, how many universities graduate students and they graduate into their first job supervising a whole engineering team? Exactly. That doesn't happen except here. Then the reason is the model. Well, now that gets down to, and maybe we should uh, jump into it if you're comfortable. It has become clear through uh, communication from the task force and you're beginning to implement it. And this is a process, I think would be right, not an event, that you are going to sunset some degrees. You're going to cut some departments and majors. You are going to add some others and combine some others. Can you go into the, some of the specifics of what's going to be cut and added and realigned? No, I mean, and, I, and you really should be using past tense because we're actually well along in the implementation of this. The letter I issued to the campus serendipitously was on March 4th of this year. And so the uh, campus the subject of the letter was a bright future for the university and what the campus calls or people on the campus call it, they call it the March 4th to a bright future letter. So I thought that was, a... <laughs> that's but in, I wish I could take credit for thinking about that, but it was totally serendipitous. Yes. It outlined a number of changes based in large part on the task force recommendations, but there are some others in there based upon where I think we needed to go based upon the the, info, the data that they uh, collected and analyzed. And we did. We sunsetted a number of programs. We eliminated some departments and combined programs into other departments, and we created some new departments. So, for example, the one of our very successful programs is 
chemical engineering. It was actually housed in the Department of Chemistry. We separated those two and the Department of Chemical Engineering was created, housed the program there, and it has an independent status in the College of Engineering. It was in the College of Sciences and um, Arts. We did sunset a number of programs. We sunsetted programs in applied math. We sunsetted programs in applied biology, applied physics, in biochemistry, and chemistry. That doesn't mean we've eliminated those programs on campus. It doesn't mean that we've eliminated those departments. What we've eliminated, however, are the majors in those areas. So sunsetting the major in applied biology means that for example, after the fall term of this year, we will not be accepting any new majors in that area. We will teach out and provide completion for everybody who's in that program and for anybody who enrolls up through the fall deadline. But beyond that, we won't be accepting any new students in those programs. Some of those are getting combined, like chemistry and biochemistry and biology and physics in that new department, right? They're not going yes. away. They're being reformulated. That's right. So one of the things that we did, we combined the programs in chemistry and biochemistry, biology and physics into a new department of uh, natural sciences. And this department has all of the coursework in those areas, as well as the interdisciplinary areas between them. And so one of the things that this allows us to do, if you think about it, is it allows us to rethink how we are teaching those majors as well. And an important aspect of this, and one of the things I outlined in my March 4th to the future letter, is that with this focus, with by focusing the institution, it provides us a number of opportunities, not just the obvious ones about allocating resources appropriately to demand, but as importantly, and this speaks to curricular roadblocks, is to rethink how we teach certain fundamental disciplines in a contextual way. So, for example, and what I mean by this is, is if you're teaching calculus to an engineer for use in engineering, you will teach it differently. You will use different examples. The pedagogy is different than if you are teaching calculus to someone you expect to major in math and get a PhD in mathematics because the student who's going to get their PhD in mathematics would benefit from a more abstract exposure to some of the concepts in math, you know, in, in calculus, for example, and that will prepare them for advanced mathematics later on things like, you know, getting into set theory and combinatorial math and those things. But an engineer is never going to go that in through the math curriculum at that level what they actually need is is they need how mathematics is advanced mathematics is applied in their field of study in their discipline this goes back to that mastery point i mean i i'm reminded of my own i'm a physicist and i'm a remind you know i often use it my students as calculus isaac newton invented calculus and there are others who are in that invention process of course but isaac newton invented calculus not because he was interested in abstract math he invented calculus because he needed a mathematics to describe a set of physical phenomena that the existing mathematics didn't enable him to describe. And so calculus came out of the desire to be able to mathematically depict 
continuous motion to continuous uh, behaviors of natural systems. That's important because if you're teaching math to a physicist, it's really important to tie it to the examples in the discipline. That's called contextual teaching. By realigning the curriculum in this way, we have the opportunity to really rethink some of the basic courses, some of the introductory physics courses and the physics sequence, the mathematics sequence, and some of these areas in ways to rethink about them in ways that are highly relevant to students pursuing, uh, you know, kind of our core disciplines. If I'm not mistaken, that contextualization is a theme that, that runs throughout the whole realignment. Am I correct? It does. You know, it's a part of the student's success. It's part of reducing bottlenecks, it's, but it's also part of making what we do highly relevant. I think it's also worth noting as an aside that no student who has embarked on a certain course of study is having the rug pulled out from under them. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Every student, you know, as part of the realignment, we have an obligation and we take it very seriously to make sure that every student who's enrolled in a program, who has it in a degree program, even the ones that are being sunsetted, is provided a individualized path to graduation. And every one of them, every student that has been impacted in some way by this has been provided an individual customized map to graduation and to completing all their requirements and to completing their degree. So this is really forward looking in that. Would it be fair to say then that, and I don't want to speak in two specifics, but in previous decades, a student at Kettering and, and perhaps elsewhere would graduate with a much more siloed specialty or mastery in a certain traditional discipline, and that the world has been demanding, particularly in mobility, as we've discussed, a much more multidisciplinary capability. And so going forward, and this task force is trying to facilitate that, that the students will be less siloed and more facile in a multidisciplinary fashion, and so able to adapt to the multidisciplinary and changing needs of the marketplace. Oh, absolutely. So for example, I was looking recently, I was, I was looking at some of the openings for entry-level engineers in Southeast Michigan, in some of the larger employers. And there was this one uh, advertisement and it was almost a plea <laughs> in, in, you know, because many companies are saying, you know, our single largest gating eye item for us is talent. We just can't find people who have the skill sets and the training and the education and the, and the experience that we need. There was this ad for positions and there were multiple positions. And the position description was what they were hiring was a human machine interface engineer. Okay. Now, That's great. so a human machine interface engineer. Now, what is that? Well, we actually do that here, so we can answer that question. We have a whole group that works on human machine interface, but I'll tell you what it is. It's not just mechanical engineering. It's not just electrical engineering. It's not just computer engineering, and it's not just computer science, and it's not just psychology, but it's actually all of them. And so when a company asks for a human machine interface engineer, they're looking for somebody that can cross those boundaries. 
that understands the interaction between hardware and software and human factors and, and ergonomics and all of those things. In order to be successful in that world, we have to prepare students much more broadly in cross-disciplinary fashion. Another aspect, I tell you, a very important aspect of the plan going forth too, is that we are implementing this year with this year's entering class, we're implementing as a standard that all students entering the university are automatically given the option of obtaining a master's degree at the institution as part wow. of their so, education. Yeah. So, so we have our, accepted to Kettering. You, you are also accepted into a master's program. You're also accepting if you wish. That's right. So it's a BSMS as a standard. And so we've already done the curriculum realignment to allow under accreditation standards, we can actually permit students to take some courses which count for both undergraduate and graduate requirements. And we've already done all the curriculum uh, modifications to make that possible. And students don't have to get a master's degree, but they have that option uh, based on continuation requirements and, you know, and successful progress to graduation, they can continue in the master's program. And what's even better, Tim, is that they can do the master's last year of their master's online if they want to after they leave the university. That is a great bridge to my next question. We've been talking about what you are delivering to students and the format in which you are delivering it and the components and, and so on. But one of the things you're starting to talk about there is how you're delivering. You cannot just get a BS, you can get a BS and an MS if you want, but also in the actual granular way, it's actually delivered. You've got a great story about how students who have adapted to the online world of the past year actually have found their own hybrid between using the D spaces and coming to coming to the building, yep. not sitting in the room and still. So tell us a little bit about that and how you were delivering this stuff differently. Yeah. I mean, and, and just to continue that before I answer your question, to continue that point is the master's portion of the degree doesn't have to be the same as the undergraduate degree, right? So you could get an, a bachelor's degree in computer science uh, in an area with a, a discipline and then get your master's degree is a master of engineering degree in artificial intelligence. Yeah, no, you or can so pivot. it can be. You can pivot, or it can wow. be a business degree in uh, lean operations. That's and, really incredible. And so it allows students to not just continue on the same path, but add a new dimension to what they are, what they're doing. Because, for example, our most popular minor at the university is and remains business. For our students, there's a real demand for, for engineers who have a really strong business background, understanding of business and business operations. So, you know, they can uh, get a degree in electrical engineering and artificial intelligence and or something like that, and and then and get their master's degree in uh, operations management in the business school. And the nice thing is, is going forward, we're the only university I know of that makes that the default for students. A student can opt out of it. They're not required to continue on to the master's. But in many areas, the master's degree is becoming kind of the de facto professional degree. And it provides students, it gives them, again, another level of a jump ahead on the demands of the marketplace. 
It also seems to, in allowing them to move a little bit, respond to the reality of the fact that freshmen and sophomores who pick a major, I would venture to say that most of them, by the time they're seniors, have a different interest or a different way they want to apply that major, and so may want to have a master's in a related but slightly different area. Slightly different area. That's right. I'm really excited about this because with, to your point about granularity, we can we can deliver these curricula in a wide variety of ways, both online and in residential programs. We're delivering residential programs, not only at the master's level, not only at Kettering, but we're also delivering them physically in Southeast Michigan and other locations. We have uh, physical locations down in, in Southeast Michigan. We have uh, the ability to deliver many of these programs uh, online. As you go, you know, take it as you can basis and take whatever time is required. We have the ability to, in programs where, where there is a thesis requirement, we have the ability to share the thesis with the undergraduate thesis so that the student doesn't have to do a master's thesis. They can do both at once when they do their undergraduate thesis. There's a lot of flexibility built into this system that provides students. I think it's an amazing opportunity because, you know, many universities have a program where you can apply for a master's, bachelor master's program. We've had that on the books for many years, but what we're moving towards with this realignment is a model where that's the standard. A large majority of students who graduate going forward in the future will graduate with a master's degree. And, and that's, will it take them six years instead of five, or is it different for different masters? Well, nominally it takes four and a half years or so to complete the curriculum here. It's typically another year to complete the master's degree. You know, there are a number of master's degrees that we've created as a part of this program that are at 30 hour master's degrees, 30 credit hour master's degrees. And a portion of those credit hours are obtainable while the student is still an undergraduate as part of a, and they can, for the online master's degrees, the students can take the master's degree courses when they're away from the university in their co-op, they can do them online when they're in the co-op. So there's a lot of flexibility built into Dr. McMahon, thanks for joining us on part two of A Bright Future, a program to reposition Kettering for a changing world. Please join us for part three when Dr. McMahon discusses pandemic policies and practices which will persist, rethinking the co-op and the new learning commons. Join us again to hear Kettering University's podcast, Horsepower to Hyperloops, available from wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.